Shavua Tov and welcome to Chai FM and learning Torah on the air. What a fantastic way to disseminate the wisdom of God across all barriers. Um, what I hear many, many times is different people from different backgrounds all over South Africa and even overseas listening to Chai FM and gleaning some Torah wisdom. So thank you so much for uh, joining us in the studio. And uh, we are going to be doing our second last um, teaching on the book of Tehillim, Psalm 119. That's it. We're on the letter Shin, which is the second last um, letter that we are going to be looking at. And it's actually quite a fascinating, a fascinating letter, simply because it comes with so much information about the world of falsehood, that which we, what we see um, is not necessarily always the truth. And I think that really is the, 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 the challenge of today's world in particular. We are, we, we see so much information coming towards us from the media, through social media, through our Facebook and our Instagram and our Twitter and you name it, our iPhones and people, you know, sending information here and there that it's very, very difficult sometimes for us to work out that which is fake, you know, the fake news and that which is real. And many, many times we are also um, involved in believing what we see, which is not necessarily the truth. And here King David has an entire discussion. It's the verses 161 to 168. It's the eight verses that start with the letter Shin or Sin. Um, and in the Talmud, we are told that the letter Shin represents the word Sheker. Sheker is falsehood. Now, if you look very closely Either in a Torah scroll or you can look in your mezuzah scroll, where, uh, uh, mezuzah, meaning that you have to look at authentic, um, the authentic writing of, 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 um, of, of Torah, not, not in a, in a, in a, an art scroll or in a, in a siddur, etc. because there, you know, we can play around with fonts. There's a particular way in which a Torah scroll is written. And if you look at the letter shin, the letter shin looks like a fork. Um, that is upside down, just the, the mouth of the fork, meaning that there are three legs pointing upwards that are coming to a bottom. But if you really look at the bottom part, instead of the, the bottom part being wide and flat like many other letters, um, what happens is that the, the bottom of the shin comes to a point. And this is is specific. It's not by mistake. It's not that this is the font that was decided two and a half thousand years ago, and that's what we got stuck with. We're told that sheker ein la raglaim, that falsehood doesn't have feet. Okay, meaning falsehood can't endure for long, and we see it again and again and again. Sometimes we tend to despair when there, when when it seems that falsehood has taken. Um, hold of our lives. We very much uh, were involved with this on a South African level with President Zuma. We thought it would just go on and on and on. The corruption would never end. But falsehood doesn't have feet. And at some point along the way, maybe not as quick as we would want it to, but falsehood falls. It doesn't endure. It collapses. And that's why when you look at the letter Shin, firstly, its legs are hanging upwards, meaning it's upside down. And the bottom is not flat 
It's not a, a wide, flat bottom. It's a pointed bottom to teach us that Shekhar cannot stand. Now, we also know that the letter Shin um, is in it of itself a word, Shin Yud Nun. And uh, we are taught that Shin is actually, Shin means a tooth, Shinaim, your teeth. Okay, and uh, we're taught in, in um, amongst the many commentators that this alludes to the ultimate destruction of those who represented falsehood and evil. Because why? Because King David says in chapter 3, which we learned quite a long time ago, it says, Shnei Rishayim Shibarta, you broke the teeth of the wicked. And you will see now as we go through this eight verses of the letter Shin, you'll see that David sings that the false prophet, the false princes that pers- uh, pursued him without cause, and how they abhorred falsehood, um, they, they 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 landed up coming short at the end. They landed up landed up um, being broken, um, and really, when you kind of like you you. Um, Cut the tooth of somebody, like when, when you cut them down, a tooth is very hard to replace. Even today, yes, we do have implants and whatnot, but it is kind of like almost like a permanent breakdown of, of, of the thing. And so the letter Shin comes to tell us about Sheker, about falsehood, and it also comes to tell us that at the end of day and during our lifetime and throughout history, we have seen a point in time where the wicked's teeth were broken, where they no longer could 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 stand they no longer had a footing they no longer were able to continue and whether it was as we are going to be celebrating in 3 days time the story of purim where haman the wicked haman harasha ultimately died or we look in more modern times at hitler um who believed he was invincible or president zuma or anybody else there comes a point in time where evil has to, by definition, fall because it is not grounded in eternity. It is not grounded in truth. As always, I welcome your your calls, any comments that you would like to share. Our WhatsApp number is 061-895-1019, our SMS 34519. And if you'd love to call the studio, it's 10 So let's get stuck. Let's sink our teeth, our shinaim, into the letter shin. And uh, let's see what King David has to say about these wicked people that pursued him. He says the following, and this is, I'm starting if you're following, um, inside 161, verse 161, Kuf Samach Aleph. Sarim Ridafuni Chinam Umid Varcha Umid Varcha Pachat Libi. Um, princes pursued me without cause, but my heart feared your utterance. David was talking about powerful princesses here, and um, there were powerful princes and generals that pursued him, the likes of King Shaul, King Saul, Afshalom. They pursued him, they threatened him. But what he's saying over here is that, hey, they didn't instill any fear in me, because the only thing that David ever feared was the possibility that he might transgress God's word. He was scared that his enemies would force him to disobey God. So he's saying over here, princess pursued me without cause, um, but what I was 
I, I wasn't afraid, so to speak, of their physical exertion, their physical prowess, their force, okay, because they knew that, 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 that what they were doing was unjust. He said the only fear that he had was that if God forbid he sinned and then God would punish him through, 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 through the prophet. That was what he was worried about. And that's why he says in the latter part of this verse, my heart feared your utterance, meaning that he really, really was nervous that um, he would go against Torah inadvertently and then Hashem would have to uh, put him back on the right path and that would come through suffering. The Vilna Gaon, one of the famous commentators of this last generation, said that here yeah, he's actually talking specifically about two nobles and ministers, Doeg and Achitofel. They continuous, continuously tried to dis- discredit David. Um, and how did they try to do that? They kept on casting doubt on his ancestry, particularly the fact that his great-grandmother was Ruth the Moabite. And how were they doing that? Well, we know that in Devarim, in Deuteronomy, um, there is a verse that reads as follows. An Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of Hashem, even to the 10th generation. There was a moratorium on um, Jews marrying people from either the Moabite or the Ammonite nations. But this verse that we are reading is coming from the Torah Shebikhtav, the written law, okay? Um, and it's not always um, clear in the, the written law, the nuances of the verses. And we know particularly that in this case, the Torah Shebaalpeh, the oral law, okay, that is the law that was given over to Moses um, verbally with the written law, which we know as the five books of Moses, that expounded what was in the written law. And the oral law teaches that the prohibition um, against intermarrying with the Ammonite or Moabite nations was only to do with the males, not the females. And this, by the way, is... Uh, the Vilna Gaon brings something very interesting. He says, he says, My heart feared your utterance. Um, that is really talking about what was written in the, um, or, uh, the, the written law. But when we ever use the word Imra, Oimer, to say, we're talking about the oral law. And uh, when we come back after this break, I'm going to show you how he swaps King David then, that not only did his heart fear Devarcha, God's word, God's utterances, but Sos Anochi Al Imratecha, I rejoiced over your word. You're listening to Robertson Edel Kazilski. Welcome back, and uh, we are going through the verses of the letter Shin of chapter 119 of Tehillim. And before the break, we were talking about the fact that we have two aspects to Torah. We have the Torah Shebikhtav, the written Torah, and the Torah Shebaal Peh, the oral Torah. The Torah Shebikhtav, the written Torah, is the five books of Moses, as we know it, that which has been written down. 
along with the Nevi'im and the Ketuvim, um, along with the prophets and the writings, that which makes up the Tanakh, and the Torah Shaba'al Peh was a tradition that was passed over orally from generation to generation until the the Sanhedrin, the Ansheik Knesset HaGadola, uh, realized once we started going into Galut, into exile, that if they do not commit the oral tradition down to writing, we will lose a great section, a, a, a huge amount of Torah knowledge. And so today, while we talk about the Torah Sheba Alpeh and the Torah Sheba the oral Torah and the written Torah, they are in fact practically both written down. But one was written down much, much later and is, is, is of the teachings of all the rabbis. So your Gemara, your Mishnah, the Rishonim, the Achroinim, all the, all the people that we learn from consequent to, um, the, 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 the writing of the oral Torah is that it is now written down, but it was initially given over orally. And here, this is what King David was saying. He was saying, I feared your utterance, meaning I feared that, um, the davar, the, 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 the utterances, meaning the, the, um, the written Torah. Okay, but then he goes on to say in verse 162, I rejoiced over your words, meaning I knew that while Doeg and Achitofel were constantly trying to discredit me and what were they using? They were using the Torah Shabbat, they were using the written Torah as proof of trying to prove that my ancestry wasn't kosher. Um, I've not only feared your written Torah, I also feared your oral Torah. Okay, and um, I know that in the the oral Torah, there it is specifically, and it is taught when about this mitzvah that it only applies to males. So I am, King David says, one hundred percent kosher. There's much deeper things as well. Just taking on this balance between the the written Torah and the oral Torah, um, in that. Some commentators go and say, while this could be true, this is true, not could be true, is true about King David and, um, his, 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 uh, enemies that tried to, to, to knock him down. He's also talking about Milcham Tashel Torah, the academic battle of Torah studies. Because what happens is, is that when one truly sits and Grapples with the complex ideas and deep secrets of Torah. One, one, one goes into a battlefield. Sometimes you, it's, it, it causes sweat. It causes a frustration because you're trying to wrap your mind around a concept. And what King David was saying was when I master a Torah lesson and I achieve a comprehension, I feel a sense of victory. I rejoice over the intellectual victory more then I would over defeating or despoiling the princes and everybody that um, pursue me. So King David, again, comes across as a character who's very much connected to the world of Torah and sees himself grappling in that world more than what was really happening on the, ex- on, on the externality, what was happening outside of him, though he had to worry about it because he was ruthlessly pursued. And there were many, many people who tried to make his life a misery. Nevertheless, for him, internally, his biggest war, his battlefield, was the field of Torah. Now, 
interestingly, on verse 162, I rejoice over your word. The Talmud in, in the Gemara of Shabbos, this is the Torah Shabbal Peh that we're learning, um, interprets the word Imratecha, your word, in the singular, meaning that um, he is singling out one mit- mitzvah par excellence. And what was that mitzvah? Uh, Rashi goes and says, the mitzvah that stands out par excellence is the mitzvah of Brit Miller, of, of having a bris, of having a circumcision. Why? Because it was the very first one that was given to Abraham as a specifically Jewish mitzvah. So the Talmud goes on to say that, you know, of the historic observance of God's mitzvahs, that any mitzvah that the Jewish people originally accepted with joy, they continue to observe throughout their history with joy. And since Abraham celebrated the first circumcision, his first, his circumcision, which was the first circumcision with a feast, Jews have continuously, joyously kept the mitzvah of, of bris Miller with a festive meal for all generations. And that's why King David says, Sos anachi al imratra, I rejoice over your word, over that one commandment. What is that commandment? The commandment of Brit Miller. And we all know, um, as South Africans, we're very, very aware of it. Um, come what may, whatever, wherever we are on the continuum of orthodoxy and, and, and Torah observance, Having a Brit, having a bris is of paramount importance. And across the spectrum, it is a time of, of joy. And uh, we go out of our way to have um, a simcha and to, and, and, and to share in the Brit Miller. And Rashi, a commentator, again, we can consider Rashi the Torah, Shabaalpeh. He went and wrote down commentary on the Torah. He was after. He made commentary on the five books of Moses, he explains on the Gemara that what is the singularity and the uniqueness of Brit Miller, of circumcision? So he says the following, he says, no other mitzvah of God indelibly identifies a Jew as a servant of God. That's what Brit Miller is all about. You know, we have many, many other mitzvot in the Torah to fill in uh, that's the phylacteries, mezuzah, the scrolls we put up on the door, tzitzit, the four-corner garments we wear. But all of those can be removed from the body or from the home. Only the sign of Brit Miller, only the circumcision is what is etched into the flesh. Um, interestingly, it says that one time King David was having a bath and he exclaimed in grief, woe unto me for I am stripped of all my mitzvahs. And it says, then he remembered that he's not stripped of all his mitzvahs because even in the bath, he has a Brit Miller. Again, he was put in ease because this mitzvah could not be removed from his body. And, uh, he, he says the, he, he continues the verse 162. I rejoice over your word. Like somebody who finds abundant spoils. That's how I'm so excited. Like when I find something. Okay. Um, that is when, um, I rejoice. When I learn Torah and I, I, I come to the intellectual discovery, the understanding of a concept of Torah, I am really excited about it. But he's talking about somebody who finds spoils. So the word find sometimes we could think, um, connotes something that's effortless, you know, like a serendipitous find. 
But here, when because we're finding spoils, spoils normally come when you've captured your enemy, when there's exhaustive planning, there's the fierce struggle of battle. So when King David says, I rejoice over your word like finding abundant spoils, what he really is saying is that Torah, as we know, is the wisdom of God. It's the wisdom of the eternal, infinite God. And we, human beings, are finite. Okay, We cannot understand God's infinite wisdoms being finite without divine assistance. So what we know is that man toils over his Torah studies. He uses his rational faculties. But it really is at the end of the day when Hashem graciously gives man a revelation of truth that allows the person to discover the wealth of, of wisdom that there, there is here. So King David is describing his exuberance. I rejoice over your words when it's like abundant spoils. Like when I get it, I get it good and it, it fills me up so much. But Let's go back and follow the thought pattern of the Talmud that says he wasn't only talking about Hashem's word, Hashem's Torah, but he was, in fact, talking about Brit Miller, which is a mitzvah par excellence. We, we do it with joy. It's, it's, it's fantastic. What, what, how, how, how do we bring that into this concept of finding abundant spoils? So the Gomorrah goes on and says that the Brit Miller the bris, we know, is performed on a child when he's only eight days old. When the child is eight days old, he's completely unaware of the mitzvah. But once it makes an indelible mark on him, okay, and as he grows and he matures, he starts to discover what that mark on his flesh really means. It means that he is a Jew. It means that he is connected to God. It means that he is connected to Torah. And when he discovers that, it's like finding abundant spoils. It's, wow, how lucky I am. My Yafa Yerushaseinu, how, how lucky we are with our inheritance and what it is that we have. So on both levels, King David is talking in a general level about the learning of Torah and how when one accomplishes uh, um, learning. One gets a tremendous sense of joy, a tremendous sense of satisfaction. And similarly, if we're following the idea that Imrat Techa is talking about the mitzvah of Brit Miller, that that too, um, one appreciates uh, the, the, the connection that one has with God as one gets older, and that is like finding spoils. Um, there is also a third idea that is brought by another commentator called the Meshechachma. He goes and says that let's go back to the war that King David is having, the battle. Remember in the first verse, King David is talking about him battling his pursuers and that, you know, it didn't really worry him what was happening on the physical side. It was what was worrying him was on the spiritual side. So the Meshechachma says the following. The victorious warrior experiences a double joy. So when one is vict victorious in war, he has two joys. The first is he rejoices over his gain. So he, he gets spoils. He gets everything that comes with victory. And the second is that he rejoices over his enemy's loss and defeat. And the Meshachachma goes on and says that this is similar um, to the joy that one has from learning Torah. Okay, you can take joy. You can 
get nachas, you can get excited on the personal gain of Torah knowledge. And also at the same time, when you are doing that, you are also defeating the Yetzirah, the, 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 the bitter enemy that is within each and every person, the evil inclination, because the evil inclination's power is weakened when a person studies Torah. So that is the twofold, twofold excitement that King David has. One, that he's accomplished, and the second, that he has defeated. And we can even bring it further and say the same thing applies with the mitzvah of Brit Miller again, of circumcision, because it, uh, Brit Miller gives spiritual and physical benefits to the child upon whom the mitzvah is performed, and it also weakens man's nature that he doesn't um, he doesn't look on lustful things and it actually like curves him down in, in that area. So that is a, a, a very interesting idea. There's one more. There's actually a tremendous amount in these two verses where King David talks about sos anochi, I rejoice. Now there is a difference in rejoicing, sosoin, and in simcha, which is pure joy. And the Vilna Gaon comes and says, what's the difference between Sosan and Simcha? What is the difference between what we call rejoicing and we call happiness? So the Vilna Gaon says, Simcha, when you talk about Simcha, you're talking about pure joy. When you're talking about Sosan, you're talking about joy that is tingled with a streak, a streak of sorrow. And he gives an example. He says, imagine a general has waged a victorious battle and in gratitude to his king, um, and, and in gratitude, he's, the, the king allows this general to carry away from the battlefield all the spoils he can carry. And so the general goes back into the battlefield and he starts stuffing his pockets with gems and all sorts of things. But And, and he's very happy. He's very excited that he's doing it. At the same time, however, he will have a regret because obviously his pockets are so deep and not deeper. He has a regret because his capacity is limited and he would have to leave much precious spoil behind. That, the Vilna Gaon says, is sasoin. And he says we get a similar feeling. Why does King David then use the word sasoin? Why doesn't he use the word simcha? I, I, I was happy um, when I learned your Torah. He says, because when a Torah student learns Torah, every bit of new Torah knowledge he acquires, he gets very ex excited because he's got the most precious treasure. But what happens is the more you study, the more you realize how much wisdom remains to be studied. And it kind of puts a damper on that excitement because you realize you have spiritual and intellectual limitations and as such you're going to be leaving some spoils behind. So that's why he uses the word sasain, not simcha. He then says, Sheker saneti va'ata eva, I hate falsehood, I abhor it, Toratcha ahafti, but I love your Torah. Meaning, I have a natural instinctive aversion to falsehood. I abhor it. I don't like any of it. It is only Torah. Torah is my only love. It's the exclusion to every, everything else. And that's really um, King David's theme throughout everything that he says, that um, his life revolved around Torah. 
only Torah. Everything else for him, he paid no attention to. He gave no credence to. There were places that he even abhorred. He wasn't really interested in what was happening in the externality of his existence. You're listening to Robertson Adol Kazilski. Welcome back, and we are studying Psalm 119, the verses 161. Yep, 161 all the way to 168. We're on verse 164 right now, halfway through. King David says, Sheva bayom hilal ticha, seven times a day I praise you. Meaning I love your Torah so much that I praise you over and over every day. And here, Sheva, some commentators like the Radak, the Ibn Ezra go and say, it's not the number seven. It just means that he continuously, commonly, all the time, many times, um, he praises. He praises him, but he does. He could have used harbe many. He uses the word sheva, so we can't just stick with the basic uh, discussion. So the Talmud picks up and says that while God surrounded Israel with many precious mitzvahs, okay to show that how much he loves and cherishes them, he gave them seven special mitzvahs. What are those seven mitzvahs? Says the Talmud, this is the Torah Sheba Alpeh, this is the oral Torah in Menachos, if you want to look it up. He says he gave them two tefillin to place on their heads and on their arms, four tzitzis bundles for the four corners of their garments, that's six, and a mezuzah on their doorway. That's the total of the seven mitzvahs. These are objects which envelop the Jew in a total environment of sanctity. The tefillin, the phylacteries, the mezuzah, the mezuzah on the door, and the tzitzis, which each and every single um, man wears. And it says, this is what inspired David to say, seven times a day I praise you. The Talmud, the Yerushalmi Talmud in the Gemara of Brochas actually goes and says, it doesn't refer to that. It refers to a, the portion of the Shema that a Jew recites twice each day that have seven special blessings, three in the morning, three during Shachrit, and four at Marev. So it's talking about the Shema. King David was saying, Sheva bayom hilal ticha, seven times a day I praise you. He's talking about the Shema. Another commentator notes that it's not the Shema, it's to do with the Amidah, with the silent prayer that we say every single day, three times a day. Because he says the Amidah, as we know, is made up of 18 blessings. Six of them are praises of God exclusively, and the other 12 are supplications and personal requests. Now on Shabbos and on the Yamim Tovim, on the festivals, there's no personal requests. And the Amidah consists of only seven blessings, the usual six that we say of praise, okay, and the one in honor of Shabbat. And this is what King David was talking about seven times a day, I will praise you. And then he says, Al Mishpatetzitkecha. Nevertheless, even if we take the, the, the day to day, I mean, the, the simple understanding, I praise you many times a day. Why? For your righteous judgments. Because even, and he said it so many times, even when you seemingly put a harsh judgment against me, I don't cease to praise you because I know what you're doing for me, Hashem, is very good. Verse 165 says, There is abundant peace for those who love your Torah. 
and there's no stumbling block for them. This is a truth that that has followed us through all two and a half, three thousand, four thousand years of 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 uh, our existence. That anybody who loves Hashem's Torah will not falter, will not stumble, um, and the path of life will be on a spiritual level, be smooth and straight, not practically, but internally. Because a person who learns Torah lives with inner peace, lives with tranquility, with contentment. Why? Because we're connected to Hashem and we are are happy. We rejoice in the portion that God gives us in this world. Our needs are small. We're satisfied with what God gives us and we 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 are happy with our portion. Okay? The opposite is true of the wicked. Isaiah the prophet says, Ain't shalom amar Hashem Rashaim. There is no peace, Hashem, for the wicked. Opposite to us of Shalom Rav There's much peace to those who love your Torah. And this is something that a Jew must be very, very aware of. Many times we think that happiness will come from that car, from that house, from that holiday, from a new pair of shoes, from a million rand in the bank, from you know becoming the professor, whatever it is. True happiness comes from being connected to God. True happiness comes from learning Torah. True happiness comes from finding a peace that God God runs the world and everything around you is run by God um, and that your job is to be connected to him through the words of Torah and by fulfilling your mitzvahs. There will be no stumbling block. Okay. Now, very interesting, uh, a rabbi by the name of Rabbi Eliyahu Lopian comments on this word, there is no stumbling block for them. He says, the title, Ohavei Torah Techa, Shalom Rav Le Ohavei Torah Techa, there is abundant peace for the lovers of your Torah. Who are the lovers of your Torah? So Rabbi Eliyahu Lopian says they are actually the women, okay, who are not obligated to be stud- students of Torah. We know that women are not obligated to keep mitzvahs um, that are that are time bound. God gives women a much, much deeper, much more um, holier task, and that is the job of rearing the next generation. And so they are excused from any time bound mitzvahs. But nevertheless, one of the things that that um, that women do is that they actually assist their husbands in keeping Torah and mitzvahs. And many many communities, you will find that the woman actually goes out and and helps support the family um, if the husband is wanting to sit and learn Torah all day long. And so Rabbi Eliyahu Lopian says, the Ohavei Torah Techa, the lovers of your Torah, are the women. They demonstrate an unselfish love of Torah because they allow their husbands and sons to devote themselves to Torah. And these men then are privileged to be students of Torah and they don't have to waste any time outside Torah, 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 Torah study. And this is, this is the mechshol. This is the stumbling block that, that, that comes in the way of people who don't love Torah. If you don't love Torah and you put all your energies and pursuits in 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 pursuing materialism, then Torah, then you landed up with a mechshel, with a stumbling block. But for those who have the right 
uh, compass will know that the most important thing is the study of Torah, the keeping of the Torah. There will be no stumbling blocks. And in many communities, that does apply to the women who give that freedom to the men. Shibata l'shuatcha Hashem. I hoped for your salvation, Hashem, meaning I, I fervently hoped to save my soul and through my faith in you. Umitzvotecha asiti. And I performed your commandments, meaning I carried your commandments simply because they were your commandments and I'm bound to fill them, fulfill your wishes. Verse 167 reads, Shamra nafshi edosecha, my, my soul keeps your testimonies. I love them very much. They have become part of me, says King David. I've loved them exceedingly. And finally, he says, Shamarti pikudecha veedotecha, I have kept your orders and your testimonies. And why? Because I've learned how important Torah is. Because you teach me how to dedicate all my actions to you and to direct all my ways before you. And so I've kept everything. Because all of my ways are before you. King David understood very, very succinctly that Hashem is aware of every step, every movement. And he's watching us all the time. And therefore we need to stick to 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 Torah in a very, very profound way. So this is the lesson that King David has for the letter Shin, that any type of falsehood, any type of running after that which does not have an eternal uh, value to it will eventually fall away. And what a Jew should really do is embrace Torah, um, Rejoice in the Torah. Rejoice in the fact that you are part of the chosen nation to be an Orla Goyim, to a light unto the nation. And to fulfill our mission, we need to embrace Torah, practice Torah, do the mitzvot, and live with a sense of joy, a sense of inner peace that Torah is, is the, the, the merchandise that is the most expensive. That is where we should be putting all our effort in, not into the pursuit of materialism or anything else which falls by the wayside. And on that note, I wish everybody a wonderful week. This week we are celebrating uh, the victory of the story of Purim, where the wicked Haman um, falls and the Jews are freed again. And in fact, very interestingly, um, one of the ideas about the story of Purim is that this was a second Matan Torah. It was a second giving of the Torah. It says that when we received the Torah, on Har Sinai, when we received the, the, the commandments on the Mount of Sinai, we received the Torah Shebikhtav, the written Torah. And when we um, were freed from the wicked dictates of Haman, it was like a second Matan Torah, we received the Torah Shebaal Peh. We took on all that came with the written Torah, all the oral teaching that we got. So we're going through another Matan Torah and it's my prayer and wish for myself, for yourself, and for everybody out there that this Purim we should see the revelation of God's hand the way we saw it in the story of Purim and that all the enemies that pursue us, the Jewish people, should fall and we should ultimately, the Jewish people, turn back to God, embrace His Torah, rejoice in His Torah, and be exceedingly happy because as we know, when we enter Adar, we should increase in joy. Please God, um, this Adar, we should see the ultimate of all joys. That's the arrival and um, 
the, uh, the arrival of Mashiach, the arrival of the Messiah, and the building of the third Beit HaMikdash. Have a fabulous uh, Purim, and please God, I will be back same time next week.